Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And an open umbrella over it opened the first act in a simple and swift soliloquy. I am the most unlucky merchant that ever was. I was once the richest merchant in Baghdad, but I lost all my ships, and now I live in a poor house that is all to bits. You can see how the rain comes through the roof, and my daughter's taken washing, and... The pause might have seemed long, but Gerald rustled in, elegant in Mademoiselle's pink dressing gown, and the character of the eldest daughter. A nice drying day, he minced. Pa, dear, put the umbrella the other way up. It'll save us going out in the rain to fetch water. Come on, sisters, dear father's got us a new wash tub. Here's luxury. Round the umbrella, now held the wrong way up, the three sisters knelt and washed imaginary linen. Kathleen wore a violet skirt of Eliza's, a blue blouse of her own, and a cap of knotted handkerchiefs. A white nightdress, girt with a white apron, and two red carnations in Mabel's black hair, left no doubt as to which of the three was beauty. The scene went very well. The final dance with waving towels was all that there is of charming, Mademoiselle said, and Eliza was so much amused that, as she said, she got quite a nasty stitch along of laughing so hardy. You know pretty well what Beauty and the Beast would be like, acted by four children who had spent the afternoon in arranging their costumes, and so had left no time for rehearsing what they had to say. Yet it delighted them, and it charmed their audience. And what more can any play do, even Shakespeare's? Mabel, in her princess clothes, was a resplendent beauty, and Gerald, a beast who wore the drawing-room hearthrugs with an air of indescribable distinction. If Jimmy was not a talkative merchant, he made it up with a stoutness practically unlimited, and Kathleen surprised and delighted even herself by the quickness with which she changed from one to the other of the minor characters, fairies, servants, and messengers. It was at the end of the second act that Mabel, whose costume, having reached the height of elegance, could not be bettered, and therefore did not need to be changed, said to Gerald, sweltering under the weighty magnificence of his beast skin, I say, you might let us have the ring back. I'm going to, said Gerald, who had quite forgotten it. I'll give it you in the next scene. Only don't lose it, or go putting it on. You might go out altogether and never be seen again. 
or you might get seven times as visible as anyone else, so that all the rest of us would look like shadows beside you, you'd be so thick, or... Ready, said Kathleen, bustling in, once more a wicked sister. Gerald managed to get his hand into his pocket under his hearthrug, and when he rolled his eyes in agonies of sentiment, and said, Farewell, dear beauty, return quickly, for if you remain long absent from your faithful beast he will assuredly perish. He pressed a ring into her hand, and added, This is a magic ring that will give you anything you wish. When you desire to return to your own disinterested beast, put on the ring and utter your wish. Instantly you will be by my side. Beauty Mabel took the ring, and it was the ring. The curtains closed to warm applause from two pairs of hands. The next scene went splendidly. The sisters were almost too natural in their disagreeableness, and Beauty's annoyance when they splashed her princess's dress with real soap and water was considered a miracle of good acting. Even the merchant rose to something more than mere pillows, and the curtain fell on his pathetic assurance that in the absence of his dear beauty he was wasting away to a shadow. And again two pairs of hands applauded. "'Here, Mabel, catch hold,' Gerald appealed, from under the weight of a towel-horse, the tea-urn, the tea-tray, and the green baize apron of the boot-boy, which together with four red geraniums from the landing, the pompous grass from the drawing-room fireplace, and the India rubber plants from the drawing-room window, were to represent the fountains and garden of the last act. The applause had died away. "'I wish,' said Mabel, taking on herself the weight of the tea-urn, "'I wish those creatures we made were alive. We should get something like applause, then.' "'I'm jolly glad they aren't,' said Gerald, arranging the bays and the towel-horse. Brutes, it makes me feel quite silly when I catch their paper eyes. The curtains were drawn back. There lay the hearth-rug-coated beast, in flat abandonment among the tropic beauties of the garden, the pompous grass shrubbery, the India rubber plant bushes, the geranium trees, and the urn fountain. Beauty was ready to make her great entry in all the thrilling splendor of despair. And then, Suddenly, it all happened. Mademoiselle began it. She applauded the garden scene, with hurried little clappings of her quick French hands. Eliza's fat red palms followed heavily. And then, someone else was clapping. Six or seven people, and their clapping made a dull padded sound. Nine faces instead of two were turned towards the stage, and seven out of the nine were painted, pointed paper faces. And every hand and every face was alive. The applause grew louder as Mabel glided forward, and as she paused and looked at the audience, her unstudied pose of horror and amazement drew forth applause louder still but it was not loud enough to drown the shrieks of Mademoiselle and Eliza as they rushed from the room, knocking chairs over and crushing each other in the doorway. Two distant doors banged, Mademoiselle's door and Eliza's door. 
curtain, curtain, quick, cried Beauty Mabel, in a voice that wasn't Mabel's or the Beauty's. Jerry, those things have come alive. Oh, whatever shall we do? Gerald, in his hearthrugs, leaped to his feet. Again that flat, padded applause marked the swish of clothes on clothes line as Jimmy and Kathleen drew the curtains. What's up? they asked as they drew. You've done it this time, said Gerald to the pink, perspiring Mabel. Oh, bother these strings. Can't you bust them? I've done it, retorted Mabel. I like that. More than I do, said Gerald. Oh, it's all right, said Mabel. Come on, we must go and pull the things to pieces. Then they can't go on being alive. It's your fault, anyhow, said Gerald, with every possible absence of gallantry. Don't you see? It's turned into a wishing ring. I knew something different was going to happen. Get my knife out of my pocket. The string's in a knot. Jimmy, Kathy, those ugly wugglies have come alive, because Mabel wished it. Cut out and pull them to pieces. Jimmy and Kathy peeped through the curtain, and recoiled with white faces and staring eyes. Not me, was the brief rejoinder of Jimmy. Kathy said, Not much! And she meant it. Anyone could see that. And now, as Gerald, almost free of the hearthrugs, broke his thumbnail on the stiffest blade of his knife, a thick rustling and a sharp, heavy stumping sounded beyond the curtain. They're going out! screamed Kathleen, walking out on their umbrella and broomstick legs. You can't stop them, Jerry. They're too awful. Everybody in the town will be insane by tomorrow night if we don't stop them, cried Gerald. Here, give me the ring. I'll unwish them. He caught the ring from the unresisting Mabel, cried, I wish the uglies weren't alive, and tore through the door. He saw, in fancy, Mabel's wish undone, and the empty hall strewed with limp bolsters, hats, umbrellas, coats, and gloves, prone, abject properties, from which the brief life had gone out forever. But the hall was crowded with live things, strange things, all horribly short as broomsticks and umbrellas are short. A limp hand gesticulated. A pointed white face with red cheeks looked up at him, and wide red lips said something he could not tell what. The voice reminded him of the old beggar down by the bridge, who had no roof to his mouth. These creatures had no roofs to their mouths, of course. They had no... A-u-re-o-me-me-u-a-u-o-l, said the voice again. And it had said it four times, before Gerald could collect himself sufficiently to understand that this horror, alive and most likely quite uncontrollable, was saying, with a dreadful, calm, polite persistence, can you recommend me to a good hotel? End of chapter 6